Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, the first one of 2023, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, Joel Illier. Joel, how are you? I'm good, thanks Joe. How are you? Probably better than me. Because I am, I'm, after your couple hours of stressing. Yes, we had technical problems and I was ready to just piss off. I'd had enough. <laughs> it took me about an hour to figure out what what was causing the issues, but I've, I've calmed down now, slightly. A little yeah, bit of help, from, you calm down. From 10. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I'm about an eight right now. Okay. Anyway, it's all good. Life's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what this boxing podcast is, mate. So let's get on with it. Yeah, let's get on with it. Right, let's kick off with the news because Jamel Charlo against Tim Zhu has been called off because Jamel's broken his hand. Oh, it's a bit unfortunate, isn't it, Joe? It was a good, good fight as well. It was, a, it was a fight I was looking forward to watching. Yeah, it was a cracking fight. I'm really gutted that one's over. Yeah, would you would have had money on Charlo, wouldn't you? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time, but it was a great fight all the same. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, I think it was due to take place January 28th, so it was one of the first you know big fights of the year as well. So it was a real real shame to be called off. A bit gutted about that. Yeah. Oh, well, these things happen. They certainly do. Um, it was a spotting injury, apparently broke his hand, cracking someone in the face. Yeah. Um, you? Yeah, if only. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really know what's happened here. In ter- the reason I'm saying that is that there's no talk of rearranging the fight, really. Well, he's going to be out for quite some time. I mean, a broken hand is not something you recover from, you know, within a few weeks. Yeah, and for a puncher, it's a problem, isn't yeah. it? I mean, he's a big puncher. He's got to make sure that's better before yeah. he comes back. Sue uh, saying that he doesn't want to lose the date, plans on fighting a replacement. So yeah. we'll see. Um, on, uh, I suppose, some better news, although this fight hasn't actually been made yet, Bob Aram, the Bob father, told Sky that Devin Haney against Vasily Hightech, Lomachenko, is, in his own words, essentially made. Yay! Normally we don't talk about this stuff. No. Because the fight's not made. But, to be fair, um, I think as we've discussed with this one from the beginning, this fight is going to get made. There's nothing standing in the way at all. Yeah. So when he's coming out and saying, no, it's essentially made, that means they're going to be announcing soon. So, oh, I'm pleased about this. This is... Yeah, Excellent I mean, you'd have to. I'd have to favour Haney as the slight favourite, mainly due to his size. I, I mean, skills-wise, they're both on like next levels. They're both ridiculously skilled fighters, but it's whether Lomachenko, you know, is going to be able to impose his style on Haney because Haney has that. He's just such a great boxer, and uh, he's very confident as well. Yeah, Lomachenko is long in the tooth these days, so he's, he's not what he was about three years ago, three four years ago. He's just not that level of fighter anymore, but. Look, he's always going to have a chance against anyone. Yeah. And whatever happens, it'll be a, a technical sort of work of art by these two. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Really yeah. hope it happens. Right. Um, here's some news. So the WBC is introducing a transgender category for transgender box. It is. And, and what this is doing, Joe, <laughs> by the WBC, because it is quite interesting, right? There's no title belt, belts proposed. Because when I first saw this story, I thought it was a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I thought, well, you can't bring in a title belt for transgender boxers when you haven't even got any transgender boxers. Or yes. This. But actually, looked into it, look, he's not... 
Mauricio Solomon isn't talking about bringing title belts into the equation. He specifically says probably won't have title belts. Yeah. But we will do a sanction, right, fights. And he would also bring in an at-birth rule that if you're born female yeah. at birth, you cannot fight somebody born male at birth, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because the thing is, Joe, this is all about promoting inclusivity. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not to make light of it, but, you know, I mean... I guess I, I I think what my uh, worry was, although it's, it's it's obviously unfounded, was that they would have a female at birth transgender fighter taking on a male at birth transgender fighter, which I think just potentially becomes dangerous and a bit of a circus. We They've done need... it in MMA, and it's just resulted in some absolutely one-sided horrific beatings. Well, something like that needs to be billed as it has been in MMA and in, in some fights we've actually talked about in the past yes, in, in yeah. boxing uh, as male versus female fights. Because you know, yeah. they essentially, well, they obviously are. Um, but in a situation like this, there is no... You know, there's no clear way for them to fight. Mm. You know, if you were, if if you're a trans male, yeah. You know, how do you fight another trans male? And it's what you actually couldn't legally speak. You mean you tr- another trans female? No, but you couldn't fight another trans male. Surely, so if, if you're you were, a trans male, you can fight another well, trans no, male. No, because you're not a male anymore. You're trans trans male. It's a different, isn't it? A different category or something no so well no let's let's just clear the confusion up so if basically by trans if you're a if you're essentially a trans male then that means you were born you were born a female a female yeah yeah so you can fight another trans male who was born a female only if you were to go it well would you be licensed at the moment as a male boxer if you'd been born female i don't think you would I well, think that's the whole point of this. Yeah. At the moment, you wouldn't be licensed. You can't. There's no place for him. But but Solomon's point was that he's not going to allow a trans... Female fight female a trans male. to fight a trans... Yeah. trans exactly, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I guess... Um, I mean, ultimately, I think it's a bit of a non-news story because there are no fighters, really, <laughs> anyway, to to take it on board. Oh, this is virtue signalling at its uh, yeah. highest level. No doubt about it by Mauricio Suleiman, but it, it stands and I think they will do it eventually. Right. Mm. Let's move on to another news story. So this is a quite an interesting one. So, so someone who probably is a contender for the Kinnan of the Year, Connor Ben, he's um, been on social media moaning that the WBC have been slow to clear him. Okay, it's their job to clear you. <laughs> and he wants to hurry up so he can fight early this year. I mean, it doesn't stop really from Conor Ben. He's he's acting like the the innocent victim of all this. It's pathetic. It's so strange. Yeah. And he's, he's he seems to be I, I wonder if his um tactic is when you're guilty is day, just to act like you're the most innocent person and just to keep playing that like on repeat on the stereo, and eventually people might just go or, okay, I've got enough doubt now to think maybe there is something to it. Well, I think he probably does have this sort of burning sort of anger about it. Yeah, and, and it's a that he got theory. caught. <laughs> well, yeah, he got caught, and that, that is exactly it. That was going to be my point, basically. My theory on it is is that it must be really, really frustrating and make you very angry as a boxer who has been caught cheating, yeah. right? Because you know how many of them are out there that haven't been caught. Yeah. And you know that a bunch of them are on Twitter <laughs> and on social media having a go at you yeah, like, yeah. for being a cheater <laughs> when you know full well that they're cheating as well. So it's it must be a very difficult sort yeah. of situation. But come on, he's got to stop acting so indignant about this. It's it's 
very frustrating to watch and listen to. Yeah, well, it, it just, is. It's, it's just not nice. It doesn't make sense. No. Well, say so it doesn't make sense. I've just explained it as best as I could. But it's, it does not uh, ring uh, right. It doesn't feel right in the situation. You need to, in this sort of situation, just sort of bow your head or just keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut, I, I think, think would be the, the better approach, to be I honest think with so. you. Yeah. I and, so. I mean, the other thing as well, someone made an interesting point on a social media about this, actually, is that... In a weird way, this could benefit his career because assuming he's cleared in some way or he gets a, a ban that isn't a massively long ban, when he comes back to fight, he will be, you know, the, the villain. And I suspect there'll be a lot more people interested in watching Conor Ben to see him lose. But he was already on that path, wasn't he, to be an absolute superstar. Not a villain, but a superstar. He was on that path. I can't see any way this has helped his, his career. I just don't agree with that. Yeah. I think that he was on his way to being a star and now is he's playing tainted. a role. He's yeah. tainted massively and he's playing a role that he doesn't want to play. Yeah. It's funny because I think this is his more natural role. Yes, yeah. I mean, he's a bit of an idiot, let's be But he honest. doesn't like playing it. He yeah. wants to be loved. He's obviously got this. Yeah. Sort of, well, you've seen it with some of the stuff coming out. He's quite a narcissistic personality. But as what has come out since, yeah. you know, his failed test, mm. um, you know, the woe is me stuff is odd. Yeah. As as we've discussed. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's um let's preview the first big fight of 2023, which is Javonta Davis against Hector Lewis Garcia. Um Javonta Davis has been in, uh, you know, a bit of trouble again recently. I believe he was arrested and charged with uh, an assault on a, a female. And this seems to be something that consistently happens with him. It's not the first time. So there's there's that, you know, is that going to affect, has it affected his preparations for this fight? Will it mentally have affected him? Hector Luis Garcia is unbeaten. Um, I think his record is is it eighteen or sixteen and over ten knockouts. Yeah. So you know he's he's clearly got some some pedigree. But from what I've seen of him and Javonta Davis, I Javonta Davis should win this fight. Um, and I think he'll probably score another late knockout. What do you think? Yeah, they look levels apart. These two. Yeah. Um, yeah, Garcia is known, I guess, for beating Chris Colbert, mm. who was flying high at the time as an unbeaten prospect, coming through and had, I think, some sort of eliminator. And yeah, he he beat him and beat him quite comprehensively by the end of the fight over yeah. 12 rounds. However, maybe we were rating Colbert slightly highly because when, I, yeah, when I've really d- dug in for this, he's doesn't see much of a threat to Davis. Yeah. He's he's a sort of hands down. Yes, he is a bit hands down. He's very hands down, isn't he? And he's a strong guy, but he's hands down when he fights in a pocket a lot of the time, which when you're fighting the level of opposition that he's been fighting, you can Mm. get away with it. Javonta Davis will tear your head off. Yeah. And hasn't he moved up from featherweight as well, Hector Lewis Garcia? Because he's, this is, this is, he won the WBA uh, probably against um, Colbert. Um, that was at featherweight. I'm sure yeah, that you're was. Right. It was a, it was it was a super feather. Yeah, super feather. Sorry. Yeah, so, so he's he's moving up to lightweight here, and and maybe that also is a factor that will help uh, Javonta Davis, who's obviously a natural lightweight. That's, of know. course, I, f- I think we've got to look at this one as a bit of a mid mid to late round stoppage for Davis. Yeah, yeah. But 
but still, though, there is the factor of the, you know, the the recent shenanigans that Javonta Davis has been involved in, and whether that has affected his preparations for the fight. So, this, I mean, I suppose the interesting thing about this fight will be the early rounds because you will, you will find out hmm. whether Javonta Davis has got his you know, head on. It's got to affect him, hasn't it? But at the same time, he's used to living this life of chaos. Yeah, it's always happening this stuff, but it's it's absolutely got to affect his performance. Yeah, I mean, he's another one who I think is a contender for the Kinnahan of the Year because he's just always involved in some sort of nonsense with the police, and it's always a little bit, you know, it's all very unbecoming and a bit horrible. Yeah, it's all nasty stuff. Yeah, isn't it is it? nasty. It's like like nasty. Hit, hit and runs, beating women. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah, not it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah, but I mean, we we envisage. Assuming he's, you know, okay, uh, Javonta Davis, fairly straightforward victory in this one. Right, I'm going to go to the magazine lottery. I have a copy of Boxing News, which is dated the 21st of September 2007. And here there is an article from Claude Abrams. And this is a preview from the picks in America, which is called The Missing Link. And I have to say, Claude Abrams got it spot on here because this was about... Chris Ariola and his fight against yes his fight against uh, Thomas Hayes who was 26 and 1 at the time Claude Abrams says in this article Chris Ariola is good but has not yet shown the quality of an outstanding fighter and that probably is the when we look back on his career that has pretty much hit the nail on the head he was decent but he didn't have the quality of an outstanding fighter and and actually when you think about it he was very much touted at the time i think as you know potentially one of the next big heavyweights he was really pushed heavily by hbo and there was a obviously that thing about him being you know the first mexican heavyweight champion so i mean Claude Abrams, some really good quotes in here. He says, a goose and shoot promotions talk about heavyweight Chris Ariola in glowing terms like he's going to be the saviour of the division. Having seen him fight several times, I don't share their forecast. Ariola, like British-based Roman Greenberg, is solid and clearly full of potential, but there's a certain something missing. You know, he couldn't have got it more spot on. I mean, so, he couldn't even mention Roman Greenberg there, which is a serious blast from the past. He really did get it spot on. Yeah. Now, let's let, let's talk about Chris Ariola's career, because having looked into it, I mean, for me, his career is pretty much typified by uh, Vitaly Klitschko. So he was... You know, as I say, touted as this sort of next big thing, and he compiled a record of twenty-seven and zero. Incidentally, he he did away with Thomas Hayes um, with a third-round knockout, but he had, a, uh, f- I think, five or six more fights, uh, culminating in him beating Jamil McCline on April the eleventh, two thousand nine, before he took on Vitali Klitschko, and this was obviously on HBO. And um, I don't know if you saw the fight, Joel, but Chris Ariola was very game, but he just got pretty much pummeled for most of that fight. And funnily enough, when I, I rewatched the fight as well, and um, you know, I think the commentary team were a bit too generous for, uh, on Chris Ariola. I mean, they were you know complimenting him on the, the come forward style and mm. going for it. But I mean, if you're coming forward and you're just getting hitting, you know, eating leather. 
It's, well, it's H- not very effective. HBO and the American Fight Fraternity were desperate to see the Klitschko's get beat. Yes. And that, yeah. that was what this was essentially about. Yeah. And Chris Aviola was somebody that, if he'd won a title, would have been a bit of a superstar. You know, he was a sort of partying, wild, you know, Mexican, yeah. drinking, eating sort of, you know, he, he would have been a story, a new story. Yeah. And he would have held the title well. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that he would have acted every bit of superstar. He would have turned up at every premiere. He would have been doing all of this business. Yeah. Problem was, he wasn't so good in the ring. Yeah, exactly. As, as you're talking about. And one thing he never lacked was heart and ambition and effort. Yeah. But what he did lack, as as you've mentioned, what Claude mentioned there and all that, he lacked the skills. The he skills, just, he yeah. He didn't quite have it. But he turned into a, a good, solid brawler. When he sort of accepted his role as his career went on, yeah. I thought he sort of turned into quite a good just brawler at a lower level. You yeah. Know, which is what he was. He was trying to be something he wasn't early on in his career because mm. they were, they say, grooming him for this spot. Yeah. He never got there. But yeah. then he, he sort of grew into himself, I felt, as, as his career went on. Yeah. So... Two fights after losing comfortably to Vitaly Klitschko, he lost to Thomas Adamek, and that was a majority decision over 12 rounds. I think he was quite a heavy favourite going into that fight as well, because he had the size on Adamek. Yeah. And now this is where it gets interesting. So we fast forward around six or seven fights to April the 27th, 2013. And this is the first of his two fights with Bermain Stiverne. And so the first fight was for a nonsense WBC trinket, and he lost that fight on points. But two fights later, this was after... So this is why I say his story is very much centred around Vitaly Klitschko. Vitaly Klitschko retired, and the WBC heavyweight title became vacant. And he was pitted against the main Stiverne again. And, I mean... I said to you earlier, if, if there's a heavyweight you'd... I mean, I know he lost him on points, but if there's a heavyweight you'd, you'd want to fight, an entitled fight, Bermain's de Verne would have been up there. And, you know, Bermain's de Verne wasn't exactly... I wouldn't say he was particularly highly skilled either. He was quite small for a heavyweight. Um, and you could hurt him. And unbelievably, Chris Ariola was stopped in six rounds in that fight and Bermain Stavern was a, became a heavyweight champion, unbelievably. It was a really good fight from what I can remember, actually. It yeah. was a good back and forth brawl, that one. It was, yeah. It, I mean, it, it was, and don't get me wrong, Chris Ariola had his, his moments in that fight. He definitely hurt Bermain Stavern during mm. the course of that fight. But again, he's just too easy to hit and hit clean. And no, know, and as you say, if you are a title challenger and you come up against Stavern, you don't win. I know this wasn't for a title fight, but mm. you should, you've basically Stavern is going to be the weakest world champion you could possibly wish to face. Aside from be, Charles Martin, yeah, well, he's going to be in that sort of <laughs> bottom five bracket along yeah. with with the Burger King. Yeah, and I mean, this must have been. I mean, at this point, he must have been thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not cut out for you know, for the upper echelons of the heavyweight division. Mm. That was his second attempt at winning a heavyweight title. He did get another attempt. And, I mean, this isn't a, someone who you want to fight. Deontay Wilder, and this was on the 16th of July, 2016, and he was stopped in eight rounds in that fight. I think he, he retired, actually, on his stall. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting because, yeah, I, I, I even I remember back in the day, you know, Chris Ariola sort of hyped it was a bit it was a hype job wasn't he really he was a hype job he was just in the long tradition of boxing hype jobs yeah absolutely yeah. no bang on that's exactly where to bracket him 
so yeah, um, Chris Ariola's most recent fight was against Andy Ruiz Jr. And that was Andy Ruiz Jr.'s first fight after losing in his, in the rematch to Anthony Joshua. And uh, yeah, Chris Ariola put in a really good performance. I mean, he's he's getting on now. He's probably around 40 at the time of that fight, but he put Andy Ruiz down on his backside in the first round and had him hurt. Mm. Um, Andy Ruiz came back and I think he scored maybe a couple of knockdowns of his own later on. Yeah, I think it was the um, second round and it was the third round. I think he had him sort of hurt really badly again. Yeah. Sort of looking like he, he could actually get knocked out. But it was a fight previous to that, though, to the Ruiz fight. It was the Adam Kanaki fight. That mm. sort of defined the second part of Aviola's career, really, because that one was a genuine fight of the year contender. Mm. And they broke the CompuBox record. Oh, for punches for thrown. punches thrown wow. in about now. You know, you know what I think about CompuBox box punch stats I'm, I'm not a fan yeah. but the one stat that you can rely on is punches thrown yeah because <laughs> you can't miss that really yes yeah so that one has a lot of merit to it and so they really they really won't and in fact it was the joint most um punches scored in a fight uh, not scored thrown in a fight but actually areola's um 1125 punches were the most thrown by a heavyweight in CompuBox's history as well. Amazing that he lost it as well, really, when mm. you think about it. But yeah, no. So, but, but that was one that Kaunaki, he left that fight and he left a piece of himself in the ring. Um, Ariola could handle it. You know, he then went forward and he he didn't really show effects of the fight. Mm. So yeah, um, and uh, I, I guess the thing that really, again, that stood out, on this article reading it was that you know Claude Abrams got his spot on he you know he was a good fighter he'll mm. certainly look back on his career and be proud of it but um given the hype given all the uh noise around him it was it was slightly disappointing I guess in the end uh, you know three cracks at the title and uh unfortunately didn't win any of them so uh Chris Ariola, the nightmare <laughs> he's he's got a nose that's a nightmare that's for sure <laughs> He has got a schnoz. He has, hasn't he? Jesus, he has. like he's got two noses. Right, so there we go. So that was my um, magazine lottery. And uh, you, you'll pick um, pick a magazine piece later, actually, because I think we want to do our review of 2022 and our awards because we've got some really interesting things to go through. Okay, so we'll start off with the fighter of 2022 and we've boiled it down to two fighters and they are Dimitri Bivol and Jesse Bam Bam Rodriguez. So, Joel, who who are you going for or are you going for both? No, I've got to. At first, I had in my head actually that I wanted to go for Bam Bam. Yes. As I just sort of looked into the records, like, no, I'm sorry, you've you've just got to go for Bivol, unfortunately. I wonder why that is. Well, <laughs> when comparing their records over the last year, yeah. to be fair, right, Jesse Rodriguez, so they both got three wins. No, sorry, Jesse Rodriguez has three wins, Bivol's got two. So yeah. we're talking about Jesse Rodriguez here. He had Carlos uh, Quadras, 
big win in February of this year. Yeah. Then he fought Pogdasek Saw Rongvasai, and he beat him. In fact, he knocked him out in the eighth round. And that Again. was a, I mean, Saw Rongvasai, I'm pretty sure, hadn't been a knock, knocked out in a long time, and he'd obviously had some signature wins over Chocolatito. Um, Absolutely, a bit of the tail end of, of Saw Rongvasai's career. In fact, he retired right after the fight. Uh, Carlos Quadras, that was the same in terms of... It, Quadra's been around for a long time. Yeah. He's not got a huge amount left now. Israel Gonzalez with his third fight, um, September of this year. He looked brilliant. He won that by unanimous decision. The yep. other two by stoppages. Yep. But then if we no, just... Carlos Quadras was a unanimous decision. Mm. Sorung Versailles was the only fighter he knocked yes, out. Yes, it was. Yep. It yep. was. Sorry. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, and then if we compare that with Dimitri Bivol, well, Bivol had, okay, two wins, but these guys were in the absolute prime of their careers. Yeah. So he had obviously the major win against Canelo Alvarez. Yep. And then he had the fight, and Canelo is sort of the biggest name in the sport, and he was probably the number three at light heavyweight, you could probably say. Yeah. Something like that. You'd probably and, go there. And amazingly, I mean, I remember when we previewed it, I mean, you know, Canelo was a heavy favourite, despite the fact that he was moving up to light heavyweight and fighting. And really, I mean, I remember at the time I previewed it, I said, Jesus Christ, like Bivol's a really good fighter. I mean, brilliant back foot fighter. Guy's excellent. And I, I just. You know, part of me didn't want to go against Canelo, but mm. then I just looking at the footage of Bivol fighting, I thought, really? I mean, this is going to be a ridiculously close fight, but it wasn't. I mean, Bivol just dominated him. Well, it's what you mentioned here, though. He went into that fight as an underdog, whereas again, uh, Bam Bam went into all three of those fights as the favourite. Yeah, maybe the Quadress fight was was close. Maybe it was slight underdog. Actually, I think he was one, getting but, that fight, but yeah, but yeah, but when you look back, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, for me, actually. Saul Alvarez win was huge. Yeah, it's the first time Alvarez has been beat since Floyd Mayweather. When was that? Twenty about nine years ago, I think. Twenty fourteen, yeah. fifteen, yeah, something like that. And then he's gone and then beat the number one at sort of one six eight who moved up, who was a genuine challenger in Gilberto Ramirez. Yeah, he's come up. He was destroying everyone that was put in front of him, and he made him look like an amateur. Yeah, you know, two outstanding wins. You can't ask for much more than two big wins in a year these days, unfortunately, from your top guys. And, and let's be honest as well. I mean, you know, anyone who beats Canelo is going to become a sort of superstar as well in their own right. But, I mean, he Dimitri Bivol sort of came out of nowhere and now he is a top 10, pound for pound, genuine superstar, brilliant fighter. People, you know, he he's well and truly got the respect that he deserves now. And um, I'm sure we'll be making a lot of money over the next few years. Fingers crossed. I reckon so. So you going? I'm going to go with Bivol. I mean, I was I was pretty much in the um, Bam Bam Rodriguez corner, because uh, and also because he sort of came out of you know nowhere and had just a stellar year. Um, And I love I love the way he fights. He's such a good boxer. I mean, he is another master boxer. Um, I mean, they're both master boxers, but the slightly, you know, the smaller men seem to have a little bit more skill because they mm. they just have a bit more about them. But yeah, no, I'm happy to go with uh, Dimitri Bivol. And, and the thing uh, with Rodriguez as well is that he's going to be around for years, mate. Probably win it next year. That's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say, mate. So there we go. <laughs> right. Let's talk about the fight of the year. I know which one's winning this, mate. I don't think it's uh, much com- competition, but we've, we've narrowed it down to two. 
Leeward against Michael Conlon and Katie Taylor against Amanda Serrano. Joel, who are you going for? Well, I... It was really, really hard. Okay, let me just pen this out. Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano was a far bigger fight worldwide. Yeah. This is Madison Square Garden, female, undisputed, all of this. It was massive. It got in the mainstream. It was on BBC, ITV, yeah. Sky. Look at this. It was a huge fight. And then it lived up to it. It was a brilliant they fight. They went at it for two minutes every round. They went at it and they were nose to nose. And both of them sort of met on the slide, essentially, mm. at that just sort of sweet spot where they can both still throw punches and they can't get out of the way. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> they met there and it was it was a brilliant fight. It was a fun fight and it the, the action really swung. It did, yeah, because, um, you know, f- for, again, our listeners should watch the fight, but for anyone who hasn't watched it, it was a genuine 50-50 fight where, I mean, Katie Taylor is the biggest star in female boxing without a doubt. And, uh, you know, in that fight, she was very badly hurt, I think, in round four. And and it looked like she was close to being stopped. Um, She recovered and she nicked a lot of the later rounds. But And also what stood out for that fight was the way they finished it. Because for the last 10 seconds of that fight, they just traded punches. And and again, Katie Taylor looked like she was badly hurt in the last second of that fight. She was about to drop. Well, she was going for the big finish because she needed the last few rounds and she seemed to actually get them. And then she wanted to close the fight out strong and really went for it in those last 10, 15 seconds. And she got caught. Yes, exactly. Dipped. Dipped, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because if she, her hand sort of went down, but she didn't touch the floor. Yeah. Right, well, if her hand had touched the floor, yeah. she loses that fight on points. Yeah. Or, I mean, if there's another 30 seconds of that fight, yeah, left, I mean, who knows stopped. what yeah, happens. Very possible. Um, they were exhausted at the end of that, weren't they? Yeah, I mean. Absolutely it, exhausted. It was a great fight, but um, for me, it has to be Lee Wood against Michael Conley. Yeah. Nothing, I mean, this wouldn't just be the fight of the year. This could easily be the fight of the you know, last 10 years. It ticked every box. It was just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. Um, Leeward, the champion against Michael Conlon, fantastic boxer, great amateur pedigree, real good 50-50 fight, cracking fight. Um, Conlon just, uh, in the first round, absolutely swipes Leeward with um, sort of overhand left, decks him, puts Leeward on the canvas, and Leeward's hurt. He gets up quite quickly as well, probably a bit too quickly. It was a... It was a knockdown, really reminiscent of Billy Joe Saunders's knockdown of Andy Lee, where he sort of went down, oh, right. was yeah. so heavy, yes. that went down arms by his side, yeah. didn't even get his arm, hands out to, yeah. you know, stop himself for anything, hands by his side, on the floor, and you look at that, I looked at that at the time, thought, fight over. Exactly, yeah. And, and and let's be honest, the you know, the next five or six rounds sort of enhanced that that notion that Michael Conlon was gonna ha- win this fight. But he was easily. always but he was always there, I thought. I didn't think easily because I thought he was always there making Conlon work at a pace that Conlon wasn't comfortable with. That's right, but he still hurt he still hurt Leewood m- multiple times yeah. during the course of that fight. I mean Leewood got caught with I, I I genuinely partly why this is the fight of the year is that it defies logic that Lee Wood won this fight. It absolutely defies logic because he got battered for most of the fight. Mm. But like you say, I do think he he has that stuff where he's just not going anywhere and he just there? refused to to cave in. He's in there and again he was still landing the whole time. He didn't go through long stretches of yeah. that fight not being able to land a punch. 
what 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 he did, I think, from maybe like the late, you know, sort of mid middle rounds onwards, was that he really started to work Conlon's body and really mm. work it viciously. And you know, I think having having seen the fight a few times because it's the sort of fight you don't, you gotta watch more than once. Um, you don't really, you, I didn't really notice it the first time round because I was sort of so mesmerised by how well Michael Conlon was doing. He was so, such a great boxer and. Um, but watching it the second time round, you you really do notice. Oh my god! Like Lee Woods really working the body quite well here, um, and he had Conlon back on the ropes. But I mean, let's be honest, it, it was the it was the finish because I think it was in round eleven. Lee Wood um, got a bit of a flash knockdown against uh, Michael Conlon, caught him with a, a shot. It wasn't a heavy shot. I think it was it Conlon was more off balance than anything. I thought. Um, I thought Conlon was still quite hurt there. Yeah, I mean, well, he it probably was. was. It, just, it didn't look like saying, the most hurtful punch, no, but I guess in round 11 of a fight where you're exactly. exhausted. This is what I mean. It wasn't <laughs> that he, it was hurt terribly from the punch, but it was he was generally hurt. Yeah. He was just in a bad way by yeah. that point in the fight. He, yeah. sort of, um, he sort of misjudged the pace of things, I think. Yeah. I still thought that despite that knockdown that Lee would 100% needed a knockout in round 12 but that that sort of teed up the nice wrap the last mm. round quite nicely because the home crowd I mean it was in Nottingham the home crowd really you know they felt that something was in the air at that point he's just got the knockdown he's really coming on I'm still I still thought there's no way Conlon's going to lose this I mean it would be miraculous if he does and then how on earth Lee would pulled it out I mean and it was such a funny knockout because he he just got Lee Wood against the ropes and he, he he threw what seemed like a very nonchalant right cross, but but Conlon sort of twist he sort of ducked down to his left and it just caught him flush. Yeah, and, and he, he was out straight away. Out. Yeah, um, and I think you know the drama of the knockout, the fact that he fell through the ropes. Well, he la- he landed that right hand just quickly though, <coughs> but he then followed it up, didn't he, with a left? I think he hit him with a couple more, maybe. Yeah. Um, just knocking right but through. But I think the right hand, that was lights out. It was game over yeah. at that point. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, and, and yeah, just the drama of it. I mean, I've, I, like I say, I don't think I've seen a comeback that good and a fight that good in such a long time. It was just incredible. So that has to win the fight of the year for 2022. And to be honest, mate, on social media, everyone else went for it. So, Did they? so <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's talk about the uh, knockout of the year 2022 nominations. So we've got three here. Terence Crawford against David Avanesian. Joe Cordina against Kenichi Agawa. And Tyson Fury against Dillian White. So I'll start off with you, Joel. Uh, my knockout of the year goes to Tyson Fury against Dillian White. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm quite surprised. Yeah. Look, when I compare the three, I think Tyson Fury's was the smartest of the bunch. It was on the biggest occasion. Yeah. It was, you know, this this massive, this, this was a huge fight in Britain. Mm. It was at Wembley Stadium. Yeah. It should have been a competitive fight. It wasn't. Fury was just all over him for the entire, what was it, five rounds? Five or six rounds, end, five, yeah, yeah. Five, six rounds. And and it, the reason I think this is the knockout of the year is because Tyson set him up for this yeah. punch for the preceding five, six rounds. Yeah. He didn't throw the uppercut yeah. once. Yeah. He moved him in position. He fainted to get him in position over and over again, mm. didn't throw it, lulled him into it, and then threw the punch. It doesn't land 
better than that in boxing. Mm. It caught him on the, on the end of the chin, yeah, which is the most lights out area you can get, and it just almost looked like he hadn't he hadn't touched him, and he never and he, saw it coming. He didn't see it coming. No. Went down like a plank. Fight was over instantly for yeah. me. That it just the occasion. I think it goes to Tyson Fury for me, yeah. Where, yeah. Who are you going for? So, well, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, but I'm, I'll tell you why I won't go for Tyson Fury, Dillian White. I get about the occasion, et cetera, et cetera. For me, it was a good knockout, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a vicious knockout. And I also think it would have been a much better knockout if he'd not pushed him afterwards. Because <laughs> I think he would have gone down anyway. <laughs> Nah, but that's, that's just, it's a moot point. I mean, yeah. he, he, he was going to go down regardless. Um, but, you know, the little push probably did did help him on his way. Um, I'm going for Joe Cordina against Kenichi Agal. I mean, I just I just think the knockout was incredible. It was a right hand that just came like a nuclear missile, really. And it, it was so quickly thrown mm. through the point of the guard, bang on the chin. And he was just, and he just collapsed. He was out, and and it was such a sort of shocking knockout as well because this was a fifty-fifty fight for me. You might not be so sure, but you know, Kenichi Agawa did have good pedigree, not amazing pedigree, but you know, he's a good fighter, world champion. Of course, he has good pedigree. In everything about it, you know, on uh, on the DAZN comms as well. Or what's his name, the, the, uh, Mike Costello, and his reaction as well. And and then you've got was it Lawrence Acoli on uh, at ringside going absolutely mental um, because everyone. It was one of those knock knockouts where as soon as it landed, you knew the fight was over. Mm. It was it was over. How, how there's nothing sweeter than that. I mean. Uh, Joe Cordina was basically celebrating from the moment the punch landed. He knew he was a world champion. Kenichi Ogawa gamely tried to get up, but I mean, you know, he he just couldn't. Fantastic knockout, and it's one of those that you could just keep watching on on replay. It was just brutal and brilliant, just brilliant. You you mentioned we we brought Terence Crawford, David Avanessian into this one as well because remember when we we discussed it at the time it was a brilliant knockout it just sets him up fantastic was was it the left uppercut and then the right hook just it was, just takes him out yeah it was the left hook right cross it was the yeah that was it yeah but this one is tainted somewhat by the fact that he had um, ripped gloves and David Avanessian's team have lodged a complaint with I don't know which uh, sanctioning body it is but you know. I think the, he may have been with the local commission. I think yeah. he might have done it with. Yeah, I mean the evidence is clear. His his gloves were ripped, and they. Sh- it's not his team's fault, but the 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 officials should have no. made him change his gloves. Makes it an even more spectacular knockout, though, doesn't it, Charlie? Well, yeah, but <laughs> you know, it was a be- this was a bare fist knockout. <laughs> <laughs> should have just took his gloves off. <laughs> <laughs> have some bare knuckle boxing, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a great knockout. But it, definitely... it was brilliant. This was the most. This was the most picture perfect, classically sort of this. This aesthetically one, pleasing. Aesthetically pleasing. Exactly. This will be the one that is viewed in thirty years' time. I think. Yeah. Of the three. Yeah, I mean, I think from a you know in terms of technically throwing the shots and setting them up, it was just, just brilliant, perfect. Yeah. But obviously. It, it was it was a sort of cheat not cheating moment, but it was it, it wasn't yeah. quite fair. Yeah, exactly. So you can't have it as the winner, but it, I think it definitely deserved a mention up there. It was beautiful. Yeah, right. Let's go to the prospect of the year for so twenty. So let's say oh, yeah. our car of the year twenty twenty two. Then it's a it's drawn 
between Cordina and, and yeah, Fury, we'll go, we'll we'll go, go for through a draw. draw we'll, yeah. let, we'll let our listeners decide yeah. the you know the real winner, yeah. which is Joe Cordina. <laughs> right, moving on to the prospect of the year for 2022. I mean, there's only one winner here, ah, exactly. And we're going to give a shout out to Adam Azim, who I think fought seven times in 2022 and has just bl- basically blasted out every single opponent. Um, probably within the first round or two. I mean, this guy is special. He 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 re- he's already good enough to mix it at world level. I think that's how good he is. I know that might be jumping the gun a bit, but this guy he is special. Yeah, there's something about him, and he may be he reminds us of Naz in so many ways. Yeah. and he may also be that type that you should just throw in him early. Just just throw like him in Naz, early because because yeah. the peak when you bright when you shine this brightly, no. surely you can't go on for that long. Yeah. I mean, I I I genuinely give him a great chance against any fighter. He, just, he's the sort of fighter who could who could you could put him in there with a champion, and he could probably win that in the first round. We just don't. The thing is, we just yeah, we don't know. I mean, I've just got a few notes here, and one of them is his aggression is bordering scary. Yeah, and it's the thing you can stick him with anyone and go, all right, well, he's such an aggressive fighter who is also so sort of gifted mm. technically that yeah i mean you'd have to say well he can land a punch he's got a puncher's chance against anyone uh but it, it wasn't seven it was five wins in 20 oh was it sorry it was, I it was seven sorry my bad and look they were getting complete novices but he did step it up in the last fight versus rylan charlton yeah in november um it's his style that's getting him there that mm. is, is has given him this sort of notoriety. And yeah. I just think he's a breath of fresh air for boxing, for British boxing. He's brilliant for Sky. And I think we'll, yeah, I think he's going to have a massive 2023 and an even bigger 2024. Mm. Yep. So uh, we are both in agreement that Adam Azim is the prospect of the year for 2022. <laughs> right. Let's move on to the, is it the British fighter of the year? Yep. For 2022. Yep. We've got two nominations here. Dan Aziz and Chris Billam-Smith. I'll start off with you, Joel. Who are you going for? Got to go for Chris Billam-Smith. Good. I'm glad. Dan Aziz is number one fan, as you know. (laughs) But when comparing the years they had, you've just got to go for Chris Billam-Smith. He had three wins. Two of the wins were for the European and Commonwealth titles. Yeah. One of the wins was against Tommy McCarthy, who was like a genuine domestic rival. They hate each other and their teams hate each other. Mm. That was a bad blood fight. And they had, I mean, they fought uh, the year prior and he won that. It was a very close fight. It was a split decision victory for Chris Billum Smith. But in this fight, he showed massive improvement. Oh, yeah. I thought it was yeah, funny because I remember we were, we were texting each other during it. No, I think we watched it together, actually. Yeah, we watched it together. <clears throat> yeah, I remember w- watching it at the time. And uh, think, and I remember, I thought Tommy McCarthy started fairly well, and so yeah. did you, mate. Because yeah. you put a bit of money. I on. certainly did. And it, and it, and pretty much from the moment you pressed place bet, Chris Billum Smith just battered him. I'm like, how am I getting out of this? <laughs> yeah. Can I cash out? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he he stopped Tommy McCarthy in the eighth round, and and that, and that was, you know, he was really punishing him in that fight. It was yeah. a great stoppage. No, it was brilliant. And so he also had a fight of the year contender with Isaac Chamberlain. Yeah. And yeah, uh, he and he's built a really raucous sort of local following in Bournemouth as well. Yeah. And so he's ticked so many boxes as a domestic fighter of the year. And I think he's done a lot of them. Now, Dan Aziz, <coughs> look, he had three wins, all for the British title. Two of those were stoppages. And a big thing for him is that 
no one knew he was a year ago. Yeah. Now he's one of the real faces of Sky Boxing. Yeah. So I think it's such a massive. If we could, if we were doing like a, a breakthrough year, then I, I might put Dan Aziz there, but we're yeah. not. We're doing British Boxer of the Year. I've got to give it, yeah, to the local lad. Chris Billum-Smith. And and I think as well, I mean, they're both very exciting fighters, but there's something about Chris Billum-Smith fight. He's he's, well, he's a puncher. He's a puncher, but he's also, he's got a bit of vulnerability yeah. about, but he's also got the stuff. Yeah. Um, I said good- he reminds me a bit of Carl Froch. He's, he's, you know, he's not the world's best boxer. He's good. Mm. And he's, and he's clearly got better. But I think he's actually uh, more pleasing on the eye than Carl Froch. He's got a sort yeah. of a more standard clean boxing pose and style mm. you know I, f- I just think is more aesthetically pleasing yeah what i like about him as well is that he's a you know he's a proper 12 round fighter i mean mm. i think he i i i would be shocked to see chris billum smith get stopped in in a fight i mean it's possible but he just got something about him i could I, he's a sort of fighter who could be trailing on points but you know, if it goes into the later rounds, it will always have that chance. Oh, he's so tough. Yeah, but he'll definitely be a fighter that really gets stopped as well because he will always, always gamble to win, Joe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he will, although it'll be a shocking end, you're right, it's it's inevitable with that man. I don't know, I don't know. It's because he fights too hard, mate. But then so did Carl gonna... Froch, mate. Yeah, but Carl Froch, he didn't get hurt like Smith did, does, does he, did he? Um, well, Bill Smith tends to get hurt in most fights. He got hurt in his last fight. Uh, uh, although, I mean, that could have been a knockout of the year contender, the one against Armin Jojar. That was a, an outstanding knockout. Mm. Actually, let's give that an honourable mention because that was a fantastic knockout. Um, yeah, he was hurt badly in, I think, the second round in that fight. But he didn't go down. He, he did that did thing he? where he kind of, the legs buckled, but he, yeah. he, he isn't, you know, I'm not going down. I'm going to tough it out. No, he's he's got the stuff, as you say. Yeah. He truly has. But yes, I think we are 100% in agreement. Chris Billum smith is the British uh, Boxer of the Year for 2022. This brings us nicely on to our... Domestic Dust Up of the Year 2022 nominations. So we've got three here, I believe. Chris Billum Smith, the aforementioned, against Isaac Chamberlain. Kelbrook against Amir Khan and Joshua Boatsi against Craig Richards. Who are you going for, Joel? I'm going for Chris Billum Smith versus Isaac Chamberlain. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for that as well, actually. It was an incredible night of action. So Chris Billum smith won by scores of 17-11 three times. Mm. Um, there was a load of back-and-forth action in this one. First sort of five rounds were very even and just fiercely contested. These two just went at it, hammer and tong. Mm. Um, atmosphere was absolutely raucous in, in Bournemouth there. Yeah. And it was just a genuine feel-good night for British boxing. Yeah. It, it was a brilliant summer fight, brilliant mm. night. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the other two fights. So Kelbrook against Amir Khan. This this we nominated more for the, you know, the occasion. It was a bad blood fight. It was a massive British, mm-hmm. you know, domestic dust up. Um and it was a fight that was, you know, long overdue. <laughs> Can say that again. Uh and it, you know, it was very much the swan song fight for both of them, you know. Yeah, I think it was it was it was certainly a more important fight for Kelbrook for his legacy. Uh, Amir Khan had, you know, I mean, they'd both seen better days. Let's be honest. Yeah, but 
I think uh, I think Helbrook definitely needed, and he really wanted this one for his legacy. And uh, he absolutely battered Amir Khan. I mean, he pretty much hurt him from the first you know time he threw a punch. Mm. Uh, Khan, I mean, Amir Khan was shot; his legs had completely gone. I don't know. He managed to take it three or four rounds, I, I believe. I, I can't even remember, but I think it's about five rounds. I think it went. Yeah, Look, Khan just took his licks that night. I don't know where he got this new punch resistance from. There was talk <laughs> afterwards that the gloves were huge, so maybe that was maybe that was something. But look, I thought both of them just went in there. Khan put in such an honest effort. Yeah, I mean, he was done by about halfway through the first round. Yeah, and he kept going, kept going. Kelbrook, this was his night. He mm. looked back to where he was six, seven years ago. Yeah. And a guy got himself into astonishing shape. Yeah. Obviously, this lit a fire in his belly like none of his fights over the last few years have. I thought it was just brilliant stuff from Kel, who was back back almost to his best. And it was just wonderful because they both bowed out afterwards. Yeah. They both got their props. Khan mm. got a lot of love from the British yeah. public for taking his licks. Kel got a lot, a lot of love for winning the fight yeah. and for being in such a big event. A huge selling pay-per-view event on Sky, by the way. Yeah. And then they ended it, went down. They they left it all in there. Yeah. Like Khan certainly did. Mm. And then they retired after the fight. That's what we want. Perfect swan song for both of them. Yeah. Perfect. No. Um Let's also talk about Joshua Boazzi and, and Craig Richards because this was a, this was an excellent fight. It was a very tactical fight, um, and I mean Craig Richards is an excellent uh, boxer. He always just seems to f- be slightly short, and you mentioned this as well. You think he's someone who's who maybe has that doesn't have the belief that other even lesser skilled fighters yeah. might have. Um, Joshua Boazzi won this a close fight on points, but. Uh, it was a great fight, a really good uh, fight. Both of them had their moments. Honest effort from both. Yeah, and again, it's sort of, you know, the domestic dust-up that, uh, yeah, just keep them coming. Keep them coming. If they're good domestic fighters, get them in the ring. And now this year, we've had a few of them, and it's been good um, getting back there because, boy, do they sell as well. You know, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it, and it helps make them stars. It does. We would have had the... I mean, this wouldn't even have been... Uh, this wouldn't have even been discussed if the big domestic fight of the year had actually happened with Conor Ben against yeah, Chris Eubank uh, Jr. Jr. That would have won by a landslide. Yeah. You know, it would have had to have done. So, you know, even without the biggest fight of the year, we still had a cracking little lineup there. Yeah. So um, we are going with Chris Billum Smith against Isaac Chamberlain. So. There we go. Right, let's so let's talk about the Kinnon of the year. So the big for the, one. Those who listen, they know that we do a weekly a Kinnon of the week, that which brings shame on the sport of boxing. So we've we've managed to narrow it down to two contenders. Quite how I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of them being Daniel Kinnon. It's <laughs> <laughs> only fair. Yeah, exactly. So one of them being Daniel Kinnon, and the other one being Tyson Fury. Who are you going for, Joel? I'm I'm going for the opposite here. I'm going for Daniel Kinnahan. Oh, yeah? yeah. Right, go on. Oh, well, purely because he really is a massive fucking bag of scum. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is like the biggest drug dealer in the world. He's bloody ruined a lot of fighters' careers this year because they haven't been able to take big fights and stuff like that. Tyson Fury can't fight in America. That whole thing is over yeah. now. No one connected to Kinnahan could even go to America anymore. Yeah. So, as you say... Tyson, 
cannot fight anyone over there. Tommy Fury. I mean, he's he's robbed us essentially of Tommy Fury against Jake Paul. I know, Joe. Do you know what I mean? I know that that. I mean, that is the one YouTuber fight I would have watched. But it's not. <laughs> and it's not going to happen now because of this. You know. Yeah. So oh yeah, I'm going Daniel Kinahan for sort of impacting so many fighters careers negatively this year yeah i mean i i, I probably will go for tyson fury but uh, more so because he you know he's a boxer i've really admired a lot over over the years i think i you know i remember saying to you i think i admired him more when he was probably certainly in the eyes of the mainstream looked at in a in a much less favorable way there's just some, there was something about his his vulnerability the fact that he was such an odd off-edge character you never knew what you were gonna like you know the the whole like the david price interview all of that stuff. that's the funniest Brilliant. something about him i just thought oh, this guy i know that he's let's be honest a bit of a c-u-n-t but there's just something about him that i really liked but this year i don't know what it is maybe i've just matured a bit but he's just become a really annoying Tosser. Oh, I'll definitely say the latter there, mate. Oh, he, he, he just, he's just annoying now. Everything that comes out of his mouth is just total drivel. Um, I mean, there are so many examples. I can't. I almost can't give any examples. I mean, just, just, just YouTube something that he's anything he's said in twenty twenty two. I mean, it was qu- quite funny when the uh, when the Dillian White fight was taking place and you know his refusal to just engage in any Kinahan related questions despite their obvious closeness um you know the fact that he again played the sort of victim which was you know if you ask me any more questions about this then I'm not talk I'm never doing another interview with you again mm. but these are legitimate questions like and this is not just a boxing story this is like a worldwide Massive news story. If a journalist at that time was not asking him the Kinahan question, yeah. then it was a real abdication of duty. Yeah. Any journalist who was interviewing him had to ask yeah. about the situation. Now, I say had to. A bunch of them didn't. Mm. But, yeah, you know, his the reason why was behaviour like this. Yeah. And, and, and you know, there have been, you know, plenty of unsavoury comments on social media. I'd like to give you an example. You know, he's you know, referred to Usyk as, you know, that nobody European, Eastern European that no one knows, you know, like, why do you have to bring in the fact that he's Eastern European? Well, he does, it very, he does it very regularly. Actually. He, he, he does. I mean, he is, you know, I yeah. think I think he is a racist, basically. <laughs> yeah, he'll cry foul if anyone, if anyone says anything remotely disparaging towards him, the, you know, the traveller community, mm. you know, it's like, well, hang on a sec, it doesn't, you know, it works both ways. You can't say stuff like that and then, it, you know, go, oh, but you can't, you know, how dare you say something about me? Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah, and, 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 and the other thing as well about Tyson Fury, which I really dislike now, is that he's become very mainstream. He's on all these, like, he's on the Jonathan Ross show, he's on this show. These wankers hated him years ago, and, See, he, and he is lapping it up now. Joe is upset that he's not just ours anymore. Well, you know, I just, I, I just think, like, the real Tyson Fury would never have done any of this nonsense years ago. No. He never would have, because he... he, he I think back then, he, you know, it was almost like, you know, how do I put it? When you, when you know what you really are and what he was back then was this like 
you know, messed up, <laughs> all over the place nutter who just said exactly what he felt like saying. And he wound everyone up, apart from me, because I thought it was hilarious. You know, now when he does these interviews, he, he's careful about, you know, he does still say some stupid stuff. He, of course he does. But he's become a little bit more like, it's like he's almost, it's almost like he's realised that I'm a, I'm a big star in boxing. I'm going to milk it for all it's worth now. Whether, th- it, whether it's taking easy fights like he did in the Chisora fight, and that's another reason why I think Tyson Fury sh- should get it. That was just that was just one of the worst heavyweight title fights you could ever possibly wish to make. It was just Derek Chisora had no chance from the f- moment it was made. What's the point in making a heavyweight title fight where the other guy's got no chance? And I know it's not his fault. Mm. I get that, but uh, yeah, I mean, just everything about him, he he, he he seems to have morphed into a totally different person, which I don't think is genuine. I don't think this is the real Tyson Fury. I think the real Tyson Fury is the Fury from eight, nine years ago. I mean, don't get me wrong, people can change, but um, I just I just think there's something very cerebral and clever about him. He's a very good manipulator, and he can manipulate um, the media into, you know, help, helping him portray this new image. This, this, this is the image I want the world to see now. But we all know what you're re- you really are, mate. You're a fucking... Scum of the earth like me, okay? That's what you are, and that's what you'll always be. That's why I liked you. <laughs> well, look, I don't know how I can argue with any of that. Yeah, so... <laughs> I think on pure um, longevity and length of the case brought before us, I think we're going to have to give that to, <laughs> to me, <Jones> yeah. <laughs> So, Tyson Fury, Tyson congratulations. Fury. You, are you, kidding, are, you are the kid, You are another year. <laughs> So there we go. Um, right, I think we that wraps up the first edition of 2023. Not quite. You're going to grab a magazine, aren't you, Joel? That's it. We have... Right, we've got Boxing News from October 17th, 2013. We're oh, yeah? with Juan Manuel Marquez and Tim Bradley on the front. Tim Bradley won that fight, didn't he? On points, I think. That Was that Juan Manuel Mar- Marquez's final fight? I think it was his last fight. God, we'll have, have to check, right? you know. I'm really I'm convinced that was his no, last that's fight. too long ago, surely. He fought Mike Alvarado after that and then he retired. Right, okay. Did Tim Bradley fight again? Tim Bradley. Oh, gosh. Interesting question. Yeah, he did. I mean, he fought quite a few times. He fought Pacquiao twice. Fought, um, oh, God. Right, okay. Brandon Rios. God, what fight am I talking, thinking of then? When after oh, yeah, the, and he, uh... lo- he lost to him because he lost to Pacquiao twice on points, yeah, I'm th- didn't I'm he? Trying yeah. to think they fought the three times, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, they fought three times. Pacquiao, the, the only really decisive time Pacquiao won was that third third fight, hmm. I thought. Well, there we go. There we go, indeed. Yeah. So, Joel will regale you all with a story or two from that episode, that edition. From 2013. Right, on that note, I think we are done for our first one of 2023. So thank you very much for tuning in. Sorry for the one hour delay in technical problems fixing. Now now I'll be going to bed later than I would have liked for my first day back at work tomorrow. But, you know, it's all good, Joel. I forgive you. <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> Brilliant, Joe, you're going to love this. I've just opened up the first page. I've opened up this magazine on you. Oh, Kelly Maloney. Frank Maloney retires, right? (laughs) This is 2013 Frank Maloney, obviously. So Frank Maloney, one of Britain's most accomplished managers and promoters, is feeling like, get this, 
a new person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, Joel, have you got any final words for our listeners before? I love you all. And on that note, goodbye.